Welcome to Manna for Breakfast, the daily Bible reading devotional which chronologically takes you through the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation in one year. Grab a cup of coffee and your Bible and join us as we journey together through God's Word. Good morning, I hope. How are you guys doing? Nice to have uh, you guys here. It's nice to be back. And <laughs> warm Puerto Vallarta, freezing cold morning here of 69 degrees. It jumped from the 29 that it was red yesterday where I was to 69. That's quite a quite a jump from my f- updating my phone from yesterday to today. So it's another phenomenally gorgeous day outside. And now I can maybe get over this cold. Well, we are in Job 20 and 21. So if you guys want to find your place, uh, my daughter is back from her honeymoon and they are setting up um, shop, I guess. She and her husband, my my other daughter, Esty, should be leaving today, going back to Italy Um, Hopefully, she will not have an issue with the snow getting out, but she's supposed to be flying back. And Mike and my son and Carly and the kids are all at home and just enjoying the family time, I think. So, with all of that, now that we are back in the command chair, we want to pray and get it back into Job chapter 20 and 21. Thank you, Father, for this morning. And we do ask you to guide us as you always do. Show us these truths in your words. And thank you for the wonderful time that we were able to spend with family up in the United States for the new life that Abby is now going to be taking on with her husband, Clark. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Zophar says, The triumph of the wicked is short. Then Zophar, the Namathite, answered, Therefore, my disquieting thoughts make me respond, even because of my inward agitation. I listened to the reproof which insults me, and the spirit of my understanding makes me answer. Do you know this from old, from the establishing of man on earth, that the triumphing of the wicked is short, and the joy of the godless momentary? Though his loftiness reaches the heavens and his head touches the clouds, he perishes forever like his refuse. Those who have seen him will say, where is he? He flies away like a dream, and they cannot find him. Even like a vision of the night, he is chased away. The eye which saw him sees him no longer, and his place no longer beholds him. His sons favor the poor, and his hands give back his wealth. His bones are full of youthful vigor, but he lies down with him in the dust. Though evil is sweet in his mouth, and he hides it under his tongue, Though he desires it and will not let it go, but holds it in his mouth, yet his food in his stomach is changed to the venom of cobras within him. He swallows riches, but will vomit them up. God expels them from his belly. He sucks the poison of cobras. The viper's tongue slays him. He does not look at the streams, the rivers flowing with honey and curds. He returns what he has attained and cannot swallow it. As to the riches of his trading... He cannot even enjoy them, for he has oppressed and forsaken the poor. He has seized a house which he has not built, because he knew no quiet within himself. He does not retain anything he desires. 
Nothing remains for him to devour. Therefore, his prosperity does not endure. In the fullness of his plenty, he will be cramped. The hand of everyone who suffers will come against him. When he fills his belly, God will send his fierce anger on him and will rain it on him while he is eating. He may flee from the iron weapon, but the bronze bow will pierce him. It is drawn forth and comes out of his back. Even the glittering point of his gall, terrors come upon him. Complete darkness is held in reserve for his treasures. The unfanned fire will devour him. It will consume the survivor of his tent. The heavens will reveal his iniquity and the earth will rise up against him. The increase of his house will depart. His possessions will flow away in the day of his anger. This is the wicked man's portion from God, even the heritage decreed to him by God. Chapter 21. Job says God will deal with the wicked. Then Job answered, listen carefully to my speech and let this be your way of consolation. Bear with me that I may speak. Then after I have spoken, you may mock. As for me, is my complaint to man? And why should I not be impatient? Look at me and be astonished and put your hand over your mouth. Even when I remember I am disturbed and horror takes hold of my flesh. Why do the wicked still live? Continue on. Also become very powerful. Their descendants are established with them in their sight and their offspring before their eyes. Their houses are safe from fear and the rod of God is not on them. His ox mates without fail. His cow calves and does not abort. They send forth their little ones like the flock and their children skip about. They sing to the timbrel and the harp and rejoice at the sound of the flute. They spend their days in prosperity, and suddenly they go down to Sheol. They say to God, depart from us. We do not even desire the knowledge of your ways. Who is the Almighty that we should serve him? And what would we gain if we entreat him? Behold, their prosperity is not in their hand. The counsel of the wicked is far from me. How often is the lamp of the wicked put out? And does their calamity fall on them? Does God portion destruction in his anger are they a straw before the wind and like chaff which the storm carries away you say god stores away a man's iniquity for his sons let god repay him so that he may know it let his own eyes see his decay let him drink of the wrath of the almighty for what does he care for his household after him when the number of his months is cut off can anyone teach god knowledge in that he judges on those on high one dies in his full strength, being wholly at ease and satisfied. His sides are filled out with fat, and the marrow of his bones is moist, while another dies with a bitter soul, never even tasting anything good. Together they lie down in the dust, and worms cover them. Behold, I know your thoughts and the plans by which you would wrong me. For you say, Where is the house of the nobleman? And where is the tent, the dwelling places of the wicked? Have you not answered wayfaring men? Do you not recognize their, their witness? For the wicked is reserved for the day of calamity. They will be led forth at the day of fury. Who will comfort him in his actions, and who will repay him for what he has done? While he is carried to the grave, men will keep watch over his tomb. The clods of the valley will gently cover him. Moreover, all men will follow after him, while countless ones go before him. 
How then will you vainly comfort me? Or your answers remain full of falsehood. The two perspectives. Job's friends are convinced that the wicked pay for their wickedness, uh, the unjust, the deceitful rich men. Um, God is going to make make them pay for their wickedness during their lifetime. They're not going to they're not going to have a smooth sail all the way to the end. Something's going to go wrong. God is going to judge them and they're going to have many many different types of calamities that you know a person is unrighteous by the way that God is going to bring about some kind of judgment upon their life and of course this is their point. Job, you are suffering because obviously you're not right with God. You are unrighteous and you are a rich, selfish man that has taken advantage of poor people. You've not noticed their suffering and all these things you've done. Therefore, you're finally paying the price. And Job takes the other side of the argument and says, wait a minute, hold on. Let's just take an observation. Open your eyes and look around. Haven't you noticed? Haven't you noticed how many people that are rich and unrighteous and wicked get away with it, things their kids grow up, they have great houses, they have luxury, they eat well, they, everything goes well. They're able to pass down the inheritance to their children. Have you not seen that the wicked do uh, escape all kinds of calamities because of their power and their wealth? And Job's whole point is, look, in the end, what matters is what God does. Man is his creation, and God is the one who will judge. And in the end, both are going to the grave. And they're going to be covered with worms. And it is how you, basically how you end up, not how you are in this life. You cannot make a distinction. You cannot make a judgment on one's righteousness simply by a casual observation if they're suffering or not. Now, he also is still in that position where he thinks, well, that's just God. That's the way he deals with us. He, he takes both the righteous and the wicked down into the grave, and there's not much we can do about it. And he allows the, the rich to go unpunished, and he sometimes he seems to punish the, the righteous. It's just the way it is. There's nothing you can do about it. He is not understanding yet that God is going to be glorified through his suffering and bless him. Now, he has said already, and this is incredible because this is Job dealing with depression like we all deal with. He does yet, though he slay me, I will trust in him. He has a false understanding of God, yet he also knows there is no other option for man. There's no other option for us. If God is our creator, then we have to do what we can to honor him and uh, be reverent to him. And also, Job has this understanding of the resurrection, that, that he would, in, in fact, live on after this life, that he would see him even in his flesh. There was a, a, a prophetic understanding of the resurrection of the body. So therefore, Job's looking ahead. Even though I don't understand what's going on in this world, even though I'm suffering like never before, and I shouldn't be because I haven't done anything wrong, I know there's going to be a resurrection. I know I will see my God. I will see my Redeemer. I'm going to trust him and and continue on. And I'm not going to curse God. I'm not going to turn my back on him. Good understanding. In other words, oh, the comfort we get from this is we can go through our life not understanding why we're going through what we're going through. It's not fair. Shouldn't have to be doing it, in our opinion anyway. The answer lies in faith, which will continue on trusting in God, knowing that if things even don't, even if things don't get better in this life, we know our Redeemer lives. We know he's coming back for us. We know it will be much better, not only much better, perfect uh, when he does come for us. So there is always hope.
Matthew 11 now, verse 1. When Jesus had finished giving instructions to his 12 disciples, he departed from there to teach and to preach in the cities. Now when John, while imprisoned, heard of the works of Christ, he sent word to his disciples and said to him, Are you the expected one, or shall we look for someone else? Jesus answered and said to them, Go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who does not take offense at me. Verse 7, as these men were going away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? And what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Those who wear soft clothing are in king's palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet. Yes, I tell you, one who is more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and violent men take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, John himself is Elijah who has come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplace who call out to other children and say, We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. Son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, Behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. Verse 20. Then he began to denounce the cities in which most of the miracles were done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Corzin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Nevertheless, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You will descend to Hades, for if the miracles had occurred in Sodom, which occurred in you, it would have remained to this day. Nevertheless, I say to you that it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. Verse 25. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to the infants. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. All things have been handed over to me by the Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Lots and lots we could cover there in Matthew 11. 
Jesus is exalting John. He's speaking to John. Uh, they they want to know if he's the Messiah. It's interesting how things can quickly change when your perspective of the one you're hoping to come and be the Messiah and, and be the kind of Messiah you want to be doesn't live up to that expectation. Remember what John says when he baptized Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, right? And he sees the dove come down and he hears the voice of God. Behold, this is my beloved son. Is there, Was there any more evidence that John would need to know that this is the Messiah? I don't think so. I think he was convinced. I think he understood that from that day until he, Jesus did not perform the way he thought he was. He thought, probably like everybody else, he's going to come and establish the kingdom. He's going to be king. Okay, and I'll be released from prison. Everything will be good. He wasn't understanding yet the coming of the Messiah king as a servant in his first coming. And a conquering king is the second. So Jesus, he has just gone about, if you remember what we read yesterday, I think, uh, going about healing people and... Uh, <laughs> raising the dead and giving speech to the mute and hearing to the to the deaf and it wouldn't surprise me everything is done biblically and i mean prophetically but if he wasn't doing all this because he knew john's disciples were going to come to him and ask him this question and so he's just done all these things as well as everything prior and then he says well go back and tell john what you just what you've seen and heard the deaf can hear the blind can see um, the lame are, are healed and the, the dead are raised. And he's, basically, this was all in the Old Testament prophecy of what the Messiah would do. So the confirmation was by the completion of prophecy. Again, all things were being done by Jesus to fulfill the word of God. All things, all the proof was by the word of God that was already established and written. So he had already seen the the miraculous, the dove and the voice and and the understanding of seeing his cousin, you know, that he knew he grew up with coming, and he, all of a sudden, it, I mean, you, you would wonder a little bit when you became an adult about the cousin you grew up with who was never wrong, never sinned, always perfect, and always kind. I mean, I, I always forget that, that he knew this guy, and yet he knew that he never fought with him. He knew that he was never mean. He knew he was always growing up, never anything other than godly and loving and kind. So... As he's asking these questions, because of course he's like I know him, he's family, but he's he, all of this is put together because he's in prison and he he's like God, where are you? I mean, I'm waiting for you to deliver me, and I'm waiting for, and you said you were going to send your Messiah, so I better figure out if I had it all wrong, and that's common. We when we get in a pinch and a bind, and we think, Lord, are you real? I mean, I'm I'm suffering here, I'm hurting. Are are you? Really, the Messiah? Should I look for somebody else? We can, not that we maybe verbalize that to that point, but we can wonder, are you really there? Are you really, do you really understand what I'm going through? John had to have been going through a lot. And yet, when Jesus talks about John, what does he say about him? Among those born of women, there's no one greater than John. Why? I mean, he, had, he was a prophet that never did a single miracle. Why was no one greater? Because he's the bridge. He's between the Old Testament and the New Testament. He was the one that got to prophesy the coming of the Messiah and see the coming of the Messiah, baptize the Messiah. And we see this, this beautiful completion of everything the prophets had always prophesied about. And John is able to say that, to see this, and, to, and essentially to christen, I don't know if it's the right word, or to be the, the moderator or the transition 
from Jesus. The beginning of his ministries, he's baptized. So the phenomenal what he got to do. And of course, Jesus says, and if you accept it, he's come in the spirit of Elijah. We know Elijah needs to come again before the Messiah comes. That's what the Bible says. Elijah will come again at the second coming. And so that prophecy is still out there. But he says, if you're willing to accept it, uh, he has come in the spirit of Elijah because Elijah prophesied about the coming of the Messiah. And he's coming in the power and authority of Elijah um, in that prophetic sense. So it's pretty interesting how we see the division of the old and the new. I mean, the division, the the complementation, um, the unifying of, of the old into the new, and then the Elijah, the old, and again in the new, and John being that connection, uh, that pathway by which he was calling out in the wilderness, get ready, he's coming. And then he sees him, and he did come. Charles Spurgeon now, And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. Joel 2.32 Why do I not call on his name? Why do I run to this neighbor and that when God is so near and will hear my faintest call? Why do I sit down and devise schemes and invent plans? Why not at once roll myself and my burdens upon the Lord? Straightforward is the best runner. Why do I not run at once to the living God? In vain shall I look for deliverance anywhere else. But with God, I shall find it. For here I have his royal shall. S-H-A-L-L in capitals. I have his royal shall to make it sure. I need not ask whether I may call on him or not. For that word whosoever is a very wide and comprehensive one. Whosoever means me. And it means anybody and everybody who calls upon God. I will therefore follow the leading of the text and at once call upon the glorious Lord who has made so large a promise. My case is urgent, and I do not see how I am to be delivered. But this is no business of mine. He who makes the promise will find out ways and means of keeping it. It is mine to obey his commands. It is not mine to direct his counsels. I am his servant, not his solicitor. I call upon him, and he will deliver me. He will. Keep that always at the forefront of your mind. He will deliver us. Father, we thank you for the glorious promise, for the understanding of your word there, and the things that you are doing. You are a great and glorious and loving God. God, we ask you to continue to work within us. God, to bring us to that place of completion in our faith where we can walk with you without any doubt that you will bring us to completion, that you will deliver us from whatever we're going through. Difficult times, difficult circumstances require that we not lean on our own stand understanding, but we acknowledge you, that you are God, that you're a creator, and that you have the ability to do things we have no, no understanding of. So we thank you for that, and we bless you for that. We do want to pray for those going through the difficult times, God, that are trying to figure out and understand why they're going through these things, certainly for the Castro Alliance with everything they're going through, God, for their healing and for their finances and everything that's going on, God. Special blessing there. Pray for our um, Flores' son, Juan Pablo, who's 
seen at least three friends of his die at very, very young ages and trying to figure out why and needing God to have that re, uh, or to have a real encounter with you to understand that you are in charge of this earth and you are sovereign and help him to find his way back to you, God, to have a real relationship with you as he's hurting right now. Thank you for the healing that you have been, been doing in many of our friends through their treatments and their cancer. We want to ask a special blessing on Steve Hill, who um, the Hills who just had to stay in their home, who was free of cancer a year ago, but just had it crop back up and rear its ugly face once again. So we pray that you would um, do what you did before and heal him, heal his body. Thank you. He's diligent in, in doing everything he can through diet and his treatments and his medicines to get over this. We pray you would deliver him. And for anyone else that's still on medication, God, I pray for this conference coming up a couple of weeks down south. You bless that. Thank you for what you've been doing in church. We pray for the new people. Pray for the those that are hurting and are looking for answers. There's so, so much anxiety, Father, in the world and desperation to know that there is hope somewhere. We want to pray for those that have high stress and high anxiety right now, that you would minister to them today your love and your grace. They would help them overcome and see the light at the end of the tunnel to see your grace and see that they can rest in you. It's a special prayer for those going through that. And we just love you. We thank you for this new, this new week and this, all that you're going to do in this year. We look forward, God, to it. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, thank you guys. I know there's. I'm always missing a lot of things. Just we could we could spend another half an hour or more in prayer, but we're just going to carry day to day cover the few basics. But that doesn't mean you can't pray for them. So please be praying for people as they come up in your mind, things that are going on. Let's continue to encourage each other in that and invite people uh, as well to join in. Just got to talk to a couple of the radio guys that are are announcing and putting promos on for us for Manna for Breakfast, and we are on in Fredericksburg every Saturday, and they're going to look into maybe expanding that next year and getting some more stuff on. So keep praying for the ministry. Let's see it grow and see what God wants to do because we want the Word of God to reach people's hearts. It's the Word of God that changes lives. I read some statistics yesterday on that. I'll need to bring those statistics again and read them. It's mind-blowing the difference that reading the Word of God every day can have on your life. So God bless you guys. We will see you again same time tomorrow.